Hi friends, Nels here. Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. Today we are in a message series called Covered in Dust, and we're exploring what following Jesus and discipleship means for us in the context of community. Let's tune in. Good morning, Journey. Great to see you. And I know it's been said multiple times this morning, but I'm going to say it again. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. As just even this morning as I was reflecting, I know for a fact that it was the faithful prayers of my mom that brought me into the kingdom of God. I'm so grateful for her and grateful for moms. We love you here around Journey. There's a story that's told about this hillbilly family back in the backwoods of West Virginia. They were really isolated, completely away from civilization. There was Pa, there was Mama, and their son was named Junior, of course. But Junior turned 16, and so what they decided they wanted to do is We need to take Junior to the big city. We need to give him an opportunity to see what the big city is all about. So they piled everything into their pickup and they went off to the city. Well, when they got to the city, they realized so much had changed since the last time they had been there. They went to the biggest, fanciest hotel that they could find. And as they walked up to the front, the doors opened automatically and Pa and Junior were just kind of, had to step back. They were amazed. And as they walked inside, they were just trying to take it all in, all these things that were happening around them. And they watched this guy walk over to this big box that was lit up on the front, and he took some change out of his pocket, and he put it into this big box, and he hit a button, and there was a rumble, 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 and out came a pop. They were so excited, he said, Junior, go get some change from Mama. So he went out, grabbed some change, put his change in, got a pop, so excited about what they had seen. And then there was this other box that he saw over there, and he watched a guy go over and put some change in this box, and he stuck his nice fancy shoe in there and turned on a machine, and this thing buffed his shoe. He said, Junior, go get my good boots from Mama. So he went out, got his boots, came in and shined his boots, so excited. They continued to walk around the hotel, and they walked into a hallway, and there were these doors in the hallway that were opening and closing, and there were numbers over the top, and they were just trying to figure out what in the world does this do? And as they were standing outside these doors, this little old lady hobbled over to the door with her cane, and the doors opened up. She walked in. The doors closed. There was a ding. They saw the numbers go up, and they watched the numbers come down. The doors opened up, And all of a sudden, out walks this beautiful, young, stunning woman. Pa says, Junior, go get mama. (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome if transformation in our own lives took place like that? That the doors could just open up and we could walk in and the doors would close. Something would happen and we would walk out a completely different person. Because transformation is what we're talking about in this series that we're calling Covered in Dust. And the transformation that we're talking about is us becoming like Jesus. Because for us to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus, what we need to do is learn how to imitate the life of Jesus. And we're calling this series Covered in Dust because that was a rabbinical saying. That if a disciple was going to follow the rabbi... They would follow them so closely and imitate their life so closely that their life would actually, as they would say, be covered in his dust. And I hope that on some level, as you've been thinking about this, what does it look like for me to become like Jesus? 
that that's actually getting a little bit overwhelming, thinking, man, the bar of that is incredibly high. I love how the theologian Dallas Willard said it, though. He says, as a disciple of Jesus, this is what I'm doing. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. You see, you've got a way that God has made you with your personality and your giftings, all of those things in the way that God made you. But becoming a disciple of Jesus is just learning from Jesus. Jesus, what would you do? How would you live this life if this life was yours to live? And in that way, we are becoming like him. There's this transformation that's taking place. Recently, I've been reading this book by Pete Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. There's been incredible things that are jumping off the pages at me in my own personal life. But something really struck me. There was a study that he showed from a guy named Benjamin Bloom. This was a guy that was a leader in educational psychology. And he did a study and a taxonomy on how people learn, grow, and change. How people actually are able to integrate new ideas into their life that actually become part of who they are. And Bloom distinguishes these five levels of what it means to actually know a value or get a value, that it actually becomes part of the fabric of our life. And these are the five stages that Bloom talks about. The first one is just simply this, aware. We become aware of an idea or a value. So in our context, we're talking about discipleship. We actually just become aware of the concept of discipleship. And it could be, you know, being and making disciples. That's really an interesting idea. But he says if change is going to take place in our life, we need to take it to a next step. Where we begin to ponder. And when, we t- when he says ponder, what he's talking about is we actually start to make this personal for ourselves. We start to think about what would it look like for me to grow as a disciple and make disciples of other people. We're actually starting to think about what would it look like for me to integrate this into my life. And that might include us beginning to reflect on this more. Maybe we actually start to have some conversations with people around this. Maybe we even get to the place where we grab a book on this, where we want to read more about it. And maybe it's even something that we start to listen to some messages on that because we want to understand more of that. But then he says it moves from that place of pondering to value. When he says value, what it means is my pondering and my reflecting on that has brought me to the place where I think this is very important. So as it relates to discipleship, what that might mean for us is we come to the place where we say, I believe that being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of other people, one, it's very important to God and it's very important to me that this is something that I want to begin to live in my life. I want to begin to revolve my life around that. And he talks about value, makes this transition to reprioritize. When we talk about reprioritize, we're talking about actually making some shifts in our life some changes in our life that are actually gonna accommodate discipleship for me. I start to think about how I'm gonna maybe leverage my time differently. I'm gonna leverage my energy differently. I'm gonna leverage my money differently. I'm gonna start to order my life around this idea of discipleship. And the last transition that takes place is where we actually own a value. And this means that this becomes a part of who we are 
This just becomes a part of how we live our life. Our decisions and actions are shaped by this value. It almost just becomes naturally. It just becomes intuitive to us to live this way. And here's what Scazzaro talks about in his book. These first three phases that we walk through oftentimes are the fastest that we go through. We start to think about it, we ponder it, and we value it. But then he said, this is the huge gap that everybody has to go through to where we actually move into reprioritizing and reordering our life. And this is where the challenge comes in in any kind of change that we want to bring in our life. And oftentimes what happens is we can see as people, we can get stuck right here on the edge of that. Because what it's gonna take to get from I value something to I'm prioritizing my life is a lot of these little incremental changes that we need to make along the way. And oftentimes people are unwilling or unable to make that. Either I don't know how to do it or I don't have the courage to do it, to step out and to, and to walk into that in my life. And when I think about discipleship, I think that that's true. When we think about what it means to be a disciple and actually build into the lives of other people, I think that's a problem in the American church. So often when we think about church, we think about it as kind of a consumer type thing. I go to church because I want to be fed. I want to feel good. I want to hear something that's helpful for my life. But what we're talking about when we're talking about discipleship is not just us being fed, but us learning how to feed others, that we actually start to build our lives into the lives of others, that we make that our priority. And I want to be really clear here. My goal is not to try to bash the American church and say we've got it all wrong. It's this consumeristic environment. I do think we have some things to work on. I think the American church does. I think Journey Church does. And that's why we're really trying to think about this idea of what does it mean for us as a church to be and make disciples. But not wanting to bash the American church, what I do think is that this was true not just today, but it was also true in the time of Jesus. People in the time of Jesus got really stuck right there on the edge of, am I gonna prioritize my life around this new value of being and making a disciple? And what struck me as I was reflecting this week was just thinking about the massive numbers of people that Jesus actually personally ministered to. I'm imagining that that number is in the tens of thousands, maybe even 100,000 people that he had opportunities to personally invest in, personally talk to, personally engage with. We think about just two ministry days with Jesus. There was the feeding of the 5,000, where there's an estimated that there was probably 20,000 because the 5,000 was just the men, and if you include women and children, huge amount. The feeding of the 4,000, same thing. I mean, just in a couple of ministry days, tens of thousands of people. And then I started to think about, what about just those people that Jesus physically healed? Did he actually heal them or cast out a demon in their life where they actually felt the power of the kingdom of God up close and personal in their life? I was trying to reflect how many of those people would there have been? My guess would be that there would be at least hundreds of those people, even when we look at the ones that are accounted for in the scriptures. But oftentimes the scriptures will just say he went into a whole region and he healed every disease and sickness of every person that was there. I'm imagining that there's hundreds, if not thousands of people that Jesus physically healed, people that experienced the power of the kingdom of God. But here was what was fascinating to me. When you think about this three-year life of Jesus and ministry of Jesus, ministering to tens of thousands of people, he goes to the cross, he dies, on the third day, raised from the dead. Not everybody's doing that. 
And then he ministers for another handful of weeks, approximately 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days is when we find ourselves at the beginning of the book of Acts. Now, I would just imagine if anyone was gonna have a mega church by then, it would be Jesus, wouldn't it? Wouldn't there just be thousands of people that are gathered following him? Not at all. When we get to the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter one, it says that there were 120 people that were waiting for the Holy Spirit there on the outside, that hill on the outside of Jerusalem. 120 people. Where, where did everybody else go? What about just the people that were healed? Where did they all go? And here's what I see in the life of the ministry, life and ministry of Jesus, what I see in the life of ministry of the American church. As the commitment level is increased, as people are asked to give greater levels of commitment, the numbers of people tend to decrease. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. And this is what was interesting about these disciples, this 120 that were there. And we've said this throughout this series, that oftentimes when people looked at the ministry they were doing, they said these are unschooled, ordinary people. They were just regular Joes. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. Some of them were prostitutes that chose to follow Jesus. But what they lacked in status, they made up for in commitment. These people were absolutely committed. They were not willing to just stand on the edge of this. They were willing to do whatever it took to reprioritize their life, to make everything about the kingdom of God central. They were willing to cross that gap. They may have just been fishermen, but they were fishermen that said, I'm willing to drop my nets and go wherever you want me to go, Jesus. They may have been tax collectors, but they were tax collectors that walked away from their tax collecting table and were willing to follow Jesus, reprioritize every part of their life. But you know what? Not every person that had these kind of encounters with Jesus were willing to just step in and walk across that gap with him. There were a lot of people in the life of Jesus that got stuck right there as well, even with the risen Lord. We're gonna look at a story from the scriptures in Matthew chapter 19 of one person that got stuck right on the edge and he wasn't willing to make that step to move toward Jesus. We're gonna read be reading from Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. And oftentimes this story is referred to as the rich young ruler. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and your mother, Mother's Day, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tosses out to him the Ten Commandments, some of the big ones. But here's his response. He says, all these I have kept, the young man said. And then here's a great question that he asks. What do I still lack? What is it that I still lack? Jesus answered him. He said, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Not the greatest invitation that anyone could have ever been given. Come follow me. 
Doesn't it just seem like it would be a slam dunk? Absolutely. Why wouldn't I follow you, Jesus? But that's not exactly what happens either. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see the picture of what happened here with this young man? He was aware of the things of the kingdom of God. And on some level, he'd taken that step and he'd begun to ponder, what does it look like for me to start thinking about living out the values of God's kingdom? And ultimately, he came to the place where on some level, he valued this, valued it enough to go to Jesus and say, what is it that I must do? But when Jesus laid out a vision for him to walk away from the things of this life and to make him central in everything in his life, what did he do? He stepped back. He stepped back from the edge. He was unwilling to go to that place where he was willing to put Jesus at the center of everything. And you've got to understand, this was really unnerving to the disciples because they're watching this whole thing play out. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. So he turns to them and then Jesus said to his disciples, he said, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You see, this is an incredible teaching moment for these disciples because Jesus is blowing their mind. He's totally upending their categories and everything that they think they know is true about the kingdom of God. And this is how we know that the disciples were unnerved and thinking hard about what it is that Jesus is saying. It says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. They were astonished. They were blown away. And they asked, who then can be saved? Because in their mindset, this guy has it all. Everything that you want in life, this guy has it. And if he's not blessed of God, if he doesn't have a hold of the kingdom of God, then who does And they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, you let him get away. This was the guy. This was the guy that was gonna be a part of our movement. Jesus, he had it all. Up until this point, Jesus, you've been calling a lot of us unschooled, ordinary people. But Jesus, this guy was different. I mean, he had leadership capital. I mean, he's a ruler. Jesus, people look up to him. He would help us in our movement. And Jesus, he had moral capital. I mean, this is an upstanding guy. You didn't even challenge him, Jesus, when he said, I've kept these my whole life. You know, Jesus, in terms of moral standing, this guy is up here. He's got that. And he's got financial capital, Jesus. He's got money. This movement that we want to build, he could help finance this thing. And Jesus, did you hear him? He was actually kind of humble. He even came up to you and just said, what is it that I still lack? He knows that somewhere in there that there's something that he lacks and he was willing to admit that to us. This guy is humble. This is the guy that we want for our movement. I mean, men want to be this guy. Women want to date this guy. And Jesus, you let him slip right away. I mean, if this guy would have joined our team, we would have had so much more street cred with everybody around here. But Jesus let him slip away. Jesus sent him packing and the man went away sad. And here's the lesson that we need to learn here. And it's simply this, following Jesus, being his disciple is not just about getting your life together. Following Jesus and being his disciple is not just about getting your life together. 
Because this guy had his life together. He had everything together. But he also missed everything because he didn't understand how the kingdom of God worked. See, this is what he believed. I listened to a message from Tim Keller, and this is what he surfaced in this guy's heart and mind. What this guy believed to be true was that Christianity or following Jesus is just a little something that I add to my life, or it's just a little something that I do. It's just something that I do to kind of round out my life. I've got a lot of things going for me, but maybe I need just a little bit of religion. I need to just add a little something to my life. Or maybe there's just, I've been doing a lot of good things. I've been keeping a lot of the commandments, but maybe there's just one thing that I'm missing. If I could add just this one thing, everything will, be made, will make sense to me. But you listen to this guy and you can tell in his heart that he knows, he knows inside that he's missing something. He could just feel it. He knew something is not quite right. There has to be more because I'm winning at every area of life and yet I know that deep down there's something that I'm missing. What do I still lack is his question. And maybe some of us in this room have that same kind of nagging question in our own heart and mind. Just when we're with ourselves in the stillness of the night and the darkness and we're really looking into the depths of our soul, we're asking ourselves, is there something more? I just feel like I'm missing something, like there's something not quite right. Something seems off. There seems like there needs to be more. It's, sometimes I get this picture that it's like the train is leaving the station, and for some reason, I just don't feel like I'm on it. Here's what he missed. Here's what this young man missed. See, he had this idea that it was just something that I add or something that I do, but when we encounter the real Jesus, I mean, when we really encounter the real Jesus and we understand the magnitude of who he is and what he's done for us, it's not a little addition to our life. What happens is there's an explosion in our life that we begin to re-evaluate, reprioritize everything about our life in light of who he is and what he's done for us. It's not just simply adding something to our life. And when that explosion happens in our life, and it doesn't happen overnight, but as the dust starts to settle, what we're gonna see in our life is that Jesus becomes more and more and more the center of our life. As we continue to walk with him and follow him step by step, moment by moment, decision by decision, as his spirit moves in us and changes us, we notice that eventually that reprioritization takes place, that Jesus becomes more at the center of everything and we're willing to walk away from anything. Nothing matters more to us than following him and being in relationship with him. I heard a story, someone sent me an article about what I might call a modern day rich young ruler. This guy's name is Adam LaRoche. Some of you might be familiar with him. He was a first baseman for the Chicago White Sox he did something amazing this last year. He walked away from the game of baseball. $13 million salary. I mean, that's more than I make in a month. $13 million is his salary. And there's a lot of things that are circulating about why he left baseball. There was this thing that happened with the White Sox management where they decided that he couldn't bring his son to work with him every day. And people have made a lot of that as the reason why he left baseball. But I started to read some articles and read a little bit deeper. And there's some things that were bubbling up in Adam LaRoche that were amazing. What happened to him is he and another baseball player, 
uh, a brewer's pitcher, Blaine Boyer. They went to Southeast Asia for 10 days to try to go undercover to try to help free young girls that are involved in the sex, sex trade industry over there. And it absolutely wrecked him. Here's an article, ESPN article about these two players. It says, something huge happened there for us, Boyer says. You can't explain it. You can't put your finger on it. If you make a wrong move, you're gonna get tossed off a building. We're in deep, man, but that's the way it needed to be done. Adam and I truly believe God brought us there and said, this is what I have for you boys. When it came time to board a flight back home, LaRoche hesitated. I was sick, he says. I was thinking there about my kids and then thinking about the hundreds of thousands of parents who are searching for their 12-year-old daughters. As they waited for their plane, LaRoche asked Boyer, what are we doing? We're going back to play a game for the next eight months? They wielded their emotions like crude homemade weapons. Every crazed thought ran through their minds. Quit the game, sell the house, and move here. Give up everything and fight the fight full time. LaRoche couldn't even talk about it for two weeks. It's going on tonight, he thought, as he tried to sleep. And here I am in paradise at the ranch with my kids where everything's safe. When we encounter the real Jesus, when we really encounter the real Jesus, things like this don't seem crazy. We're willing to walk away from $13 million contracts for no other reason than because I think God wants me to do this. That's a radical picture of reprioritization, but friends, every one of us has to make those. Maybe ours won't seem that radical, but if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we're gonna be his disciples and make disciples, every one of us is gonna walk up to the edge of that gap, that action behavior gap where we've gotta move into a place where we start to do things differently. We, we prioritize our life differently. What Jesus knew about this young man is he knew what was going on in his heart. And you know what I love about this is that Jesus knew that the problem with him, it wasn't, it wasn't a money thing, it was a heart thing. He knew that he had another God in his life other than God himself, and that was money. And I love how it was that Jesus responded to him. He didn't shake his fist at him and say, you greedy little bugger. I can't believe you would do that. I'm giving you the invitation of a lifetime but instead Jesus did something incredibly different and I want to read Mark's account of Jesus's response to this man because he says one thing that I think is so important for us to hear in Mark 10 verse 21 Mark's account of the same story it says Jesus looked at him meaning the rich young ruler Jesus looked at him and he loved him Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus was able to look past the facade of his life, this facade of everything that looks like he's got it all together and he knew what was going on in his heart. That's what motivated Jesus to wanna ask him to give all of his stuff away because he knew that was the thing that was keeping him from truly surrendering his life to Jesus. Is it about money? It's not about money at all. In fact, giving up everything that you own to follow Jesus. I don't think Jesus ever did that with any other person, but he did it with him because he knew that's the thing for him. That's the thing that he thinks is gonna bring him life and fulfillment and hope that isn't Jesus. And Jesus says, I've got to remove that 
if I'm gonna have him. I've gotta remove that thing from him. There was a power struggle in his heart. What were his dreams, really? What did he think that it was that was gonna bring life and help and fulfillment? And that's what happened to him. It brought him right to the edge. But this man stepped back from the edge and he said, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to prioritize my life around the things of Jesus. And now for him, it was money, but what's it for us? Probably every one of us has something that we're grabbing a hold of. Something that we have in our heart that is operating as a functional savior for us. It may not be money for you, but it might be. Maybe for you, it's a career. Maybe it's for you, it's power and influence. I've gotta get to the top. I've gotta be the top dog. Maybe for you, it's just the thing that is most important in your life beyond even God is marriage, getting married, or the marriage that you have. Maybe it's your children are the thing that are so much more important to you than God even is. Maybe it's recreation. Maybe it's sex. Who knows what it is? The things that I listed there, this is what I want to say is none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad or evil in any way. But what happens is when we take something that is good and we elevate it to something that is ultimate in our life, then that's what keeps us from experiencing the kind of life that Jesus wants to bring us. And those are the things that get us stuck on the edge, unwilling to prioritize the life of Jesus in our life. And as we've been thinking about this idea of discipleship and what it looks like for us to be and make disciples as a church, what this is gonna look like is a lot of people over time making decisions to put Jesus and other people into the center of their life. Because we've looked at this picture, there's the life of Jesus. And we've talked about the up and out life of Jesus. And in discipleship, what he did is he built that up, up and out life into the life of disciples. But then this is what we see at the beginning of the book of Acts, is they all prioritized the life and ministry of Jesus and they began to build into others. And we see this Acts 2 community that starts to form at the beginning of the book of Acts. We start to see the kingdom of God breaking out and breaking through. And I just want to read that as just to, to remind us of the vision that we want to see true of everyone around here at Journey Church, that we would all be connected in this way. In Acts 2, starting in verse 42, we see that in this community of people, there was this passionate spirituality, this incredible up relationship that they had with the Father. In verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Do you hear that? God was at work among them. They sensed his presence. He was there. There was a sense of awe. They were engaging with the Father. But it wasn't just about the Father. It was about each other as well. There was a radical community, a radical family. In verse 44, it continues, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They spent time together. They did life together. They ate together. They prayed together. 
read the scriptures together, they did life together, and there was a way that they met the needs of one another that was just radical. They would sell their stuff and give it to anybody that had need. Not crazy? I mean, that's so un-American to us. We just want to keep our stuff. But they were radically in community with one another. But it wasn't just about their community. They wanted the kingdom of God to spread. There was a missional zeal. There was an out component to this to the life of this community. And the very end of that text says, and they added to their number daily those who were being saved. It wasn't just about us being together, but it was about we want to grow the family of God. We want more people to experience this. We want more people to come to know Jesus. We don't want anyone to be separated from the life that he gives. And that's this picture of a missional community. What does it look like for us to live out that passionate spirituality, that up relationship, that radical community, that in relationship as a family, and that missional zeal, that outward focus to bring people in to the kingdom of God. And friends, this is what it's gonna take for us to be a church that becomes disciples and makes disciples of other people, is every one of us has got to get to this place where we're willing to step off of just valuing this and start to make the incremental changes that it takes to begin to start to integrate the up, in, out life of Jesus into everything that we do in our lives, just to integrate it into the things that we're already doing. When I, when I was thinking about this, I was, I was reflecting on my wife and I's process as we just you know, tried to do this really practically. What does it look like for us to live the kind of life that Jesus lived? If that's what it means to be a disciple, what would it look like for us to do that? And we actually began to think about what would it be like to build rhythms, just real specific rhythms into our life of up, in, and out. Now, I'm, I'm gonna share something with you, and I'm gonna, I, I need to preface it with this. My wife and I are both engineers by training, both engineers here at MSU, so we kind of have that a little bit of a mindset. So if you're one of those free spirit, kind of no structure, organic kind of people, what I'm gonna show you is just gonna make your skin crawl. <laughs> but this is how we decided that we were gonna try to integrate the up and out life of Jesus into our life. We actually made a spreadsheet with it and we color coded it and we looked at yellow is up, orange is in, out is red. And so what would it look like on the day to day for us to begin to build these things into our life? What would it look like for us to begin to worship God as individuals but also as a family? What would it look like for us to create space in our life to be able to be a spiritual extended family with people around Journey? What would it look like for us to begin to think about what would it, how we could reach out to people in the broken world around us, in, in our neighborhood and in our valley? What would that look like? And so for us, it was just one incremental decision at a time. And I don't wanna make it sound like we've, we've nailed this. I feel like we're on the very front end of a very steep uphill but what we have been doing is we've been on our face before the Lord asking him, what is it that you want us to do? What is it that you're saying to us and what is it that you want us to do? Because our arms are thrown wide open. We just wanna be your disciple and we wanna make disciples. And whatever it is you want us to do in that, we'll do it. Whatever you want us to do for up, in, out, we're available to you. And friends, as we start to think about what is it gonna be for us as a church to be a church that even though the doors of our church are wide open to anyone that would wanna come here, we also wanna be a church that follows Jesus' commandment and makes disciples who makes disciples. And what that's gonna be for us is people making decisions, one decision at a time, one rhythm at a time to make 
the life of Jesus part of their own. The question that we're all gonna be asking then is what does it look like for us to step into that gap? What is it gonna look like for us to make the first decision to prioritize the life of Jesus? I wanna ask you to just put your things aside and I want you just to throw that question before the Lord and see what he might say to you right now. Throw the question out, what is my next step to live the kind of life that you live, Jesus? might be some that are here this morning and as we continue in a posture of prayer I'm imagining that there are some that might be really resonating that with that question that the rich young ruler asked when he said what is it that I still lack you just sense that inside there's something that's missing there's something that's not quite right and maybe you're wondering is Jesus at the center of my life and you maybe want to make him the center of your life, if you sense the Holy Spirit nudging you to move toward that, we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. What we can do to invite Christ to be the center of our life, we can do something really simple, like praying a very simple prayer that goes something like this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I don't want to follow you from a distance. I don't want to walk away from you. I want to know you personally, and I want you to be the center of my life. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I've gone my own way, and because of that, I'm separated from you. I'm outside of relationship with you. But Jesus, I'm also so thankful that you were willing to die on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. I turn my life over to you today. I turn from living my life my way and I turn it over to you, Lord. And I want you to be the Lord and the King and the Savior of my life. I want you to take control of my life and I want you to make me any kind of person that you want me to be. I want to live for you. And Jesus, I just wanna say thank you for making me part of your family. Jesus, we are so grateful that you give us an invitation to follow you to make you our king and that you bring us life and you bring us fulfillment beyond what we would have ever imagined. Jesus, I just wanna pray over our church. God, I pray that your spirit would continue to transform us. God, we can't do it on our own. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's gotta be a work of your spirit in us. And so we ask you to do that. Make us the kind of people that you want us to be Teach us what it means to be your disciple and to make disciples of others. God, we need your help in this. We're not gonna do it alone. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. 
If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.